Well, it is such a joy to be back with the Heartland family and to be with my friend, Pastor Darren, and his family. And great to share the role with everybody there. And uh, I, uh, several months ago, got a call from him about this series. And I loved it from the beginning. One of the things I appreciate about a church that reaches so far is it cares about how deep the the character development is, who a person is, in addition to what that person may do. And so he was sharing with me about the series. By the way, I've been privileged to hear each of the last three weeks. Great message there that was shared a couple weeks ago on David as well. And I, he said to me, you have the privilege, Wayne, of picking any Old Testament character you want who has spoken to you about character. And I loved it. I got my chance to choose my favorite Old Testament character. Now, he's not as well known as some of the ones you've heard about. You probably were familiar with Abraham and David, and Joshua has a book named after him, but this one, not so much. So you say, now why for Wayne is this person a favorite? Let me give you the two reasons. First of all, Several years ago, I tried to understand more fully, along with a team of people, how is it that God works in a person's life from those initial stirrings, that first time they kind of sense a void and know that there's something more and something different that's needed, and then walk hand in hand with God to the point where he's the center of their life and involved in every critical decision and relationship in their life. You know, the first time I was here, I did what pastors do. I stole some material off your table out there. And uh, one of the things out there was a description of how that happens from someone who maybe is not interested in spiritual things all the way to living a life that makes a difference for others. And during that time, Willow Creek that you just heard about, Bill Hybels was doing a study called Reveal and trying to identify those factors that help people fully follow Jesus Christ. And one of the factors they found in common with these Christ-centered people was they didn't do it alone. They had someone close to them who encouraged them to be fully followers of Jesus Christ. You know, in your uh, little program today, there's this friendship survey. And these people would say things like, I have close relationships with other Christians who really do influence my life. I want other Christians to hold me accountable for my actions. I have spiritual friends who speak the truth to me and don't hold back. And by the way, it's not just about all the kinds of friends I need, but can I be that friend to someone else? I am committed to mentoring and helping others grow spiritually. You know, in January, it'll be 30 years that I've met with the same accountability partner. Paul Anthes, a business person, devoted to Christ, called to live out that calling in the arena of business, and I've sat face to face and now by Skype more often than that. And we've challenged each other. We've encouraged each other. There have been some of those spiritually high times. And we've also helped each other probe some of those blind spots, those deeper places. 30 years of journeying together. 
Nathan is a spiritual friend to David. He's one of these people who helps provide accountability, who helps cheer him on. He's the spiritual friend of the most powerful person on the face of the earth in his day. There's a second reason I chose Nathan. And that is years ago, I took a spiritual gifts test. Now, I don't know if you've done this, but I took a first spiritual gifts inventory to try to find out how has God gifted me. And I didn't like the results, so I took another test. You know, I thought, uh, ooh, you know, maybe. It's, uh. And then I took a third one and a fourth one on the internet. You can get a lot of them these days. And uh, there's this gift that kept coming up that I'm thinking, I, I don't get it. One of the top three, the other two seemed to make sense. The, the other third one was prophecy. And I thought, you know, prophecy, that's like telling the future. I can't predict with any degree of accuracy when I'll be home for dinner, let alone what the future is. And I thought, well, okay, it's foretelling future, but it's also forthtelling, applying God's truth to culture's trends. And then I found out from Romans 12, it's a spiritual gift, and I found out in 1 Corinthians 14 that it was a part of the early church, and, and then I found out that when God was unrolling his original movement through Christ, that there was this role called prophet that was one of the catalytic roles to get the movement going. And, and so there were some other people about that time who had taken spiritual gifts inventory, ended up with prophecy. They didn't have a clue what it meant either. So we got together, and we studied the Bible's prophets, all the prophets of the Bible. You know, prophets are kind of a weird bunch you know, they, they call down fire from heaven. They take off in fiery chariots. They wear underwear a long time without changing it to make a point. You know, they lay on one side for a lot of years. Then they turn over and lay on a lot of days and turn over and lay on another side. They marry a prostitute. I mean, crawl through a hole in the wall. This is not me. I, I, I describe myself as predictable. My wife says, boring. I say, predictable. I'm, I'm just kind of an ordinary, steady sort of soul. Nothing too exciting, nothing too eccentric. And then I come across Nathan, who's a prophet. And he's the kind of prophet that for some reason or other, God keeps putting him up alongside a powerful, anointed person in order to be an encourager, a friend, and a source of challenge. I said, ooh, I've been surprised how God has allowed me to come close to people who he's greatly blessing so I can be a friend. And so look with me today at a couple of conversations Nathan the prophet has with his soul friend, his spiritual friend, King David. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. There are only three major conversations that involve Nathan. One is in 2 Samuel 7, we'll look at that one. Another one's in 2 Samuel 12, we'll look at that one. Another one is when... David eventually is going to pass the baton to his son Solomon as king, and another son tries to get in on it, and Nathan helps protect the passage of the baton to the person God's anointed, Solomon. 
And in this very first conversation, it's going to become apparent that what matters most to Nathan is God's approval. I cannot be a spiritual friend to you if what matters most to me is your approval. Because I'll only go places in the conversation that help you feel good about me. But if I want more than anything else God's approval, if I want for you more than anything else to live a Matthew 6.33 life, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if it's his approval that's most important, then I'm positioned to be a spiritual friend to you and you to me. Now, in 2 Samuel 7, it's a conversation of affirmation. For the most part, these are fun. Because you get to say, God's hand is upon your life. Verse 1 of chapter 7, after the king, David, had settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the enemies around him. Let me stop there just long enough to observe. David was a warrior. And now he has rest from all his enemies. David was a builder. City of David. And now his palace is done. He's a builder and a warrior, and he's been successful. And he looks around, and he says, it's been a good life. What's next? When I came to the seminary, I had the preconceived idea that I would be serving primarily students in their 20s and 30s, kind of beginning of life. And it's true, our youngest student is 23 years of age. Our oldest student in just two weeks will turn 80. The average age in our student body is 40. And what I'm observing is many of these people are making a transition that's been described as halftime or marketplace to ministry or success to significance. God has blessed them. Then They've been faithful to God. They've been anointed in that area of their life. There's nothing wrong with what's taken place, but they look at that and say, wow, that's been great. There are some resources. There are some connections. But as I look to the next chapter, this one seems to be finishing up. Something new may be just beginning. Boy, to have the right spiritual friend at that moment. And so, what do you do when you have one of these moments? David calls Nathan the prophet. Verse 2, here I am living in this palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. He gets it half right. David is a man after God's own heart. The Lord is with him. 
It's that part about whatever you have in mind to do that's a little problematic. You see, David is a builder. He builds stuff. So he said, well, if in this past chapter of my life I built stuff like my palace, in this next chapter I must build stuff like a temple for God. See, there's this natural tendency to just continue what you already know. His heart's right. Nathan senses that. So Nathan says, go for it. Well, that night, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. This is the word of the Lord that redirects. Let me summarize the conversation that follows. Nathan, your friend David, his heart is right, and I'm going to bless him. But he must understand there's a different focus to what I'm calling him to. Because to me, people are more important than place. He wants to build me a place. Have I ever asked for a temple? I'm more concerned that my people have safety from oppression. And he says, not only is the focus a little different, but he said the timing is different. He's not going to build the temple. Now, he's got some networks, and he's got some resources, and he's going to get the preparation ready and the foundation. He's going to get it all set. But his son is going to do it. It's not the present. It's the future. Let me just say, my opinion, one of the reasons... God is blessing this great congregation is because it has always understood from its very beginning that it's more about people than place. It's about loving, leading, launching. And you have understood investing in children, investing in youth, investing in young adults, people in my generation, blessing the generation that's coming, giving them what they need so that they can experience the voice of God and live their whole life in obedience to him. That's important here. And when I think about those who are coming to this season, David's in, who already have in their DNA the missional, multiplying, multi-ethnic DNA of this great congregation and the kingdom firepower that brings about with that heart to bless people and to bless the next generation. Wow! God works powerfully in that. Now imagine Nathan at this moment. Um, just told my friend... The king, most powerful guy on the face of the earth. He gets upset with people. 
you know, whatever's in your mind. Now I got to go back and tell them, well, little different focus, little different timing. How important do you think it is that God's approval matters most in this moment? Verse 17, into the conversation, Nathan reported to David all the words of the entire revelation. If his buddy the king would have been most important, his approval, I think he would have edited the revelation to make it more palatable to the king. But if God's approval matters most, I want more than anything else for my friend to hear everything God wants to say to them. Because then they'll walk the path. That's right. We need Nathan's. It was a powerful message last week on courage, but something tells me that if we are going to be required to have great courage, we need more great encouragers to others. So together we help each other live boldly for the kingdom. Now, to this point, being a spiritual friend is sounding pretty good, but then we get over to the next conversation, chapter 12. In between the two conversations, David abuses the power God entrusted to him. And as a result of that, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. And... He murders the man who every day puts his life on the line to protect David and his kingdom as an officer in the army. He murders Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. It's just awful. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, I can assure you, Nathan wasn't saying, pick me, pick me. You know, it's hard that when God has something he really wants to say to someone, to add confrontation to the conviction they may be feeling. Sometimes when someone's feeling conviction, God needs to add the human element of confrontation to get it to a tipping point so they act on it. He often uses the people closest to them. You know, sometimes I've had these opportunities and I say, God, pick someone who barely knows them. Make it tell it like it is. reason is good confrontation begins with a connection. Nathan knows his friend, so he tells him a story. You know, David's a big kingdom. You may not realize what's going on all the time. 
There's a rich guy and a poor guy. They happen to be neighbors. Poor guy, I mean really poor. One little lamb, it's all he's got. You know, because it's all he's got. It's, it's like his kid. I mean, it's like his daughter holds the thing, you know. And the rich guy has some friends come visit, and he wants to serve them a meal. Now, he could go out and take one of his many lambs. He could kill one of his cattle, but he goes next door, and he takes that poor man's one little lamb, his little daughter, and he kills it, cooks it, serves it to his friends. Verse 5, David burned with anger against that man, and he said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. You know, Nathan knows if I'm going to get to my friend's heart, I have to speak his language. And David is a psalmist. He's a poet. He's a storyteller. His language is story. You know, a couple chapters later, the woman at Tekoa will show up and tell him another story to get to his heart. Nathan knows his language. He connects through story. And he doesn't challenge his will directly. But he goes for his heart. We had a grandchild, fourth grandchild, born on Friday. This is the third child of us, our oldest son, Chris. Wonderful young man of God today. The teen years were traumatic for us all. And uh, recently we were out in boat fishing. He just says, Dad, here we go, child number three. He says, I'm just praying none of these kids will be like me. And parents... You know there's no pain like kid pain. I mean, you can take a lot of things, but when your kids are making poor choices, it kills you. And uh, I used to confront Chris. And sometimes I would, you know, battle of wills. Strong-willed kid. Not sure where he got it from. And we'd get into these battles and it'd become about which of us was going to win. And it was so horizontal that God's voice couldn't be heard. It was too much about him and me. But if I didn't challenge his will, if he didn't feel that resistance, but I went for his heart, it seemed to create enough space that he could hear not what his earthly father was saying, but more importantly, what his heavenly father was saying. That's exactly what happens here. And the heavenly father gets through to David and he is incensed at what this man has done. And Nathan then says to David, verse 7, you are that man Whew. 
This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you more. If you'd have only asked me. He uses the power God entrusted to him to bless. He uses that power to oppress. The power he had been given to give people strength and encouragement and health. He brought death and secrecy. And so the consequences. <laughs> Nathan doesn't hold back. He says, David, you did this secretly. You thought and nobody knew. But the consequences are going to be public. You know, I have this little game I catch myself playing when I'm facing temptation, which is to minimize the consequences if I sin. You know, it works out the other way. The consequences are wider. They not only affect David, they affect those he loves, they affect those he leads. They're wider and longer. The consequences continue even after the confession is made. And he confesses, I have sinned against the Lord. He's right. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Absolutely. Did he sin against Uriah? Completely. Did he sin against their child? Mm-hmm. But it all started because he abused the power and the position to exploit other people to sin against God. Nathan says, the consequences remain, but my friend, I will walk with you. My friend, I believe you are a man after God's own heart. My friend, I don't believe this is the final chapter. It's going to be hard. But let's do it together. So I'm discovering that being a spiritual friend has challenging highs. Go ahead and do it, but it might need to be refocused a little bit. The details may be a little different. The destiny's the same. And challenging lows. You are that man in a, in a spiritual friendship having a soul friend it's almost like a romantic notion you know fellowship you, you get this picture of a campfire and holding hands and singing kumbaya you know this this is rigorous 
And if I'm not clear about whose approval matters most, then I'll not be positioned to be that spiritual friend. If I please God, I can love people. But if I have to please people, I can really love people. Loving people and pleasing people is not the same. You can only love people if you please God. Whose approval matters most? Two questions for you. Number one, are you a spiritual friend who can both affirm and confront? Some of us are affirmers by nature. If there's a good word to be given, you say, hey, God, pick me. I like to bless. I like to compliment. Other people are confronters by nature. These people make me a little nervous, by the way. They're just more than ready to give God's truth. Both barrels. Pick me. You see, being a spiritual friend is not doing what's natural. It's doing what's needed. It's not about me and what I'm comfortable with. It's about you and what God has for you. Second question, do you intentionally build spiritual friendships that welcome others to speak the truth and love to you? I've noticed we develop very spiritually sophisticated defense systems. I like you. Let's have donuts. Let's not go too deep. Donuts good, deep not so good. I can send off those signals only so close. You know, David was a devoted man. David had a dysfunctional life. And one of the questions I'm going to ask when I get to heaven, why do devotion and dysfunction often go together? It hurts so many people when it does. I'm just finding that I need a spiritual friend who helps fan the flames of devotion and helps keep an eye out for those blind spots of dysfunction that hurt others. So even though my life is very predictable and not very quirky, my mind's a little bit quirky. So I want to give you this final thought to kind of carry with you about non-profit living. Notice the spelling that's here in these uh, words. Non-profit living. If you have no one who speaks the truth to you, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, leads to non-profit living, P-R-O-F-I-T. What profit is it to you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul? Let's pray about that. Father, thank you through Christ we have the opportunity to be included in a family, brothers and sisters, friends, where we watch out for each other, where we speak to each other, because more than anything, we want your smile upon our lives. 
create an openness and a non-defensiveness in us that makes us strong because we're willing to receive the counsel of others and have them stand with us. And for this great church family, may the adventures ahead that require such great courage be fulfilled because they find in each other the encouragement they need. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.